0: Kind of same old, trying to keep up with my schoolwork.
1: So have they kind of settled into a uh, kind of a routine with you guys working from home?
0: Yeah, I guess. I'm not really quite like, used to it. Still, I'm behind on my schoolwork.
1: So it's like a whole bunch <laughs> of kids all of a sudden are homeschooling.
0: Basically, yeah
1: and you already been through that so you know what you're doing but other kids are going like oh I'm going stir crazy mom do something <laughs> yeah that must not be easy
0: you can't it, you know.
1: I guess it all it's all livable because everybody's telling themselves that it's only for a few months but I guess it's the rest of your semester though right at
0: least the end of- this semester probably more colleges considering going doing their first quarter online so
1: and then they don't have it all set up that's not going to be an easy thing
0: so that's what all the colleges are desperately trying to do right now set up everything over the summer and right now
1: did I ever tell you I had a business idea like that mm,
0: no
1: Yeah, I had a business idea that, and it was back when there was videotape, right? You know, you could videotape. So that's VHS. You know how old that is, right? (laughs) Yeah. So the thing was you'd take a camera and videotape the lectures, and you'd pick really good lecturers, right? Because there was one guy in particular that I liked at school, and I just wanted his lectures. He was retiring, and I, I wanted a year's worth of his lectures just because he was a good lecturer, you know? That's how I got the idea. So you pay the the uh, professor, you know, a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand, however much you have to pay for his one year's worth of lectures. But then that's your material; it's not theirs anymore. You paid for it, so you have a you set up a, a distance learning school, and you have this well known, respected lecturer who is the one giving the lectures. And then you pay a t- somebody like you a very minimal salary f- to be the teacher's assistant. And so the teacher's assistant is the one who answers questions after the lecture, is the one who does follow-ups, who uh, schedules tests and proctors the tests and, uh, you know, uh, grades tests. And basically does all the scut work that the teachers never do anyways. They always have their grad students do it. And so there was a business model. I mean, you, you pay the $10,000 plus the one or 2000 for the, the student or the grad student, and that's $12,000 out, and you, you charge, say, $1,000 per person to sign up for the class, so all you would need to break even is 12 students. And then there's no, no end in sight in terms of how many students you could sign up for that class. You could have a thousand, right? Now you wouldn't have the same teacher's assistant doing one thousand students. You'd have to have a certain number that you'd say, "Okay, fine, you're only responsible for thirty or fifty or hundred, whatever it is," and that's all you got to do. And then we hire another one, and then another one, and another one, and you know, and it, but it kind of takes care of itself. If you've if you've got a thousand people signing up for your class, you've got a good class, and you're going to attract good. St- teacher's assistance, and you've already got a good lecturer. You don't know, you have to take care of that. It's already done. So that was my model for a uh, whole different uh, style of education. And That was before the internet, before all this distance learning stuff came on. And uh, I told it to your mom, because we had an arrangement where my business ideas, if I were to pursue them... Uh, she, had, she had veto power over that. So if she didn't like it, she would just veto it. And that was it. I wouldn't pursue it any further. And uh, so I told her that idea. And I, I, her characterization of that was, she called it um, piracy. So I never pursued it. Nowadays, it's the big hot thing.
0: I mean, I don't know the details of what it takes to be, like, recognized as, like, a college, but I can't imagine that steps are very easy. So, yeah, I think there's just a lot of details on it. Just things you would never think of. Right. That would get in the way, you know, but I guess it could have been possible.
1: Well, one of them is that how much you have to pay those lecturer dudes so much and they're really not worth it because they don't do anything. They give one lecture, and you're paying them 300000 a year for, for that one lecture, one hour of work a day at the most. So it would be a much cheaper model of education, and yet you'd have the same quality of lecturer. Then right again, the, another problem is that your lectures are
0: static. They don't. They don't get to change or anything given like scientific
1: research or well that's the a. purpose of the teacher's assistant so you schedule one hour lecture from the famous uh lecturer dude and half hour from of update from the teacher's assistant and now the teacher's assistant gets a chance to become famous too and ride on the coattails of the fame of the lecturer so you got einstein giving okay. a lecture right and then you, you got
0: what I mean you? like as time goes on, more and more, but the lectures. Have-
1: Jack and I can't get rid of them. I got to get some screening material. Hmm. Anything new for you?
0: Nothing much. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's not really much new. Hmm. My sleep schedule's kind of crazy.
1: (laughs) What went crazy?
0: My sleep schedule.
1: Oh, yeah, because you got more, you have less uh, structure to your life right now. Yeah, so I
0: normally go to bed at, like, 2, but last night I was tired. So I was like, oh, I'll take a nap and then do some homework. So I went to bed at, like, 9 and just slept all the way through.
1: That's the sort of thing that happens to people in college. You lose some of the structure that your life once had, right? And the only structure you end up with is, well, the class starts at 8 a.m. Or, you know, if class starts at 11 and you got to be there. And even then, yeah. you, you can you can miss a class or two and then you just ask the people in the class, you know, but can you please bring this recording and <laughs> record the lecture? <laughs> oh. And uh, and so you end up only missing the visual portion of it, or something like that. There's this. Have you ever seen the movie Real Genius? No. I recommend it. It's it's a comedy, and do you know who Val Kilmer is? No. So he was a famous actor. He played Batman, and he played um, the Saint, and he played a couple of other things that he was kind of famous for, I guess. Famous actor. And this was kind of his uh, original, when he was young, breakout role. And he, so he was a, a smart student, a genius. That's the why the name of the, the movie is called Real Genius. And uh, so he was, uh, and it was, and it was all modeled around Caltech. Because Caltech is famous for, first of all, those people are extremely smart. And second of all, they're all really nerdy, and then third, they all play pranks on each other, and I mean really, really advanced, serious pranks. Like uh, you are just an amateur, okay? <laughs> so one of the pranks they had in the movie was they dismantled this guy's car and then and then re re uh, uh, what do remant? What is the term for that? Uh, re re put it, put it back together. Okay. Reconstructed his car inside of his dorm room. <laughs> and the weird thing is that's based on a true story that has actually happened. Another time, uh, people at Caltech, what they did is they put a VW bug on top of the steeple of the church. And it wasn't the whole bug because it's way too heavy. Right. So they basically made, they, they reduced the weight by a whole bunch and they made it look like it was a VW bug and there were some real VW bug parts to it but the reality was it was mostly you know a replica of a VW bug that they stuck up on the steeple of a church that was that was a good prank another guy he uh, there's a mountain nearby and it used to be a volcano and so he went up and got a whole bunch of tires and put the tires up there, and then one day he poured all you know lighter fluid and stuff on the tires and lit them, and so the volcano mountain had this smoke coming out of it, right? Like a mountain, you know, volcano with smoke coming out of it, and you scared the crap. Like yeah, you scared the shit out of everybody with that one. So he had to basically not admit that he was the one who did the uh, you know the the prank because that one was like people were were uh, panicking. <laughs>
0: Societal, like real societal problems right
1: there I mean, that's kind of funny i mean and then years later you can laugh about it but at the time nobody's taking it very funny right
0: yeah
1: and so the the movie prank that they did was uh the the kid had been pulled into he was a laser scientist right and and he pulled into some secret project for making a laser to kill people And so they didn't like that that the laser they made was going to be used for killing people. And so they turned the laser on the professor, (laughs) and they blew up his house with the laser. (laughs) That was the movie right there. Oh, my God. (laughs) Great prank. Yeah. So, yeah, I recommend that movie lots of pranks and lots of uh, weird stuff, and uh, you, you'll, you'll be exposed to that kind of uh, culture, you know? Maybe you'll get some
0: ideas. I think heard once that, like, an MIT Bank or something
1: was, uh, uh, there was, like, a fire truck that they managed to put on the, on some, uh, they said, Put it on what? that somehow uh, MIT students like put a fire truck on a building in MIT or something like that <laughs> oh well I was just telling you about the prank itself was was a VW bug at Caltech and they put it up on the yeah. church steeple but it wasn't the whole real but V yeah. in like but it was
0: something
1: so- the thing is I think these pranks actually take place and and it could easily be both are true. So, the fire truck at MIT and the VW bug at, at Caltech. And those are based on real pranks. Still there? Yeah, I'm still there. All right. Well, uh,. I guess i got to start looking into uh, uh, moving down to L.A. or something. I'm, I'm in no hurry. I don't think you're in much of a hurry to have me follow you down there either, right?
0: No.
1: Do, do they have any kind of date that you're supposed to be down there? <laughs> no, they're still figuring
0: it out. They're not sure if there's any house people in them. This quarter, so
1: you mean you might actually be able to go to UCLA from where you live right now?
0: Well, I might have to, We may go online, you know.
1: Hey, Nano. Yeah. I'm not ignoring you. I just have to close the door because the dog is I I out. I don't know if I've told you the story of the, the saga of the vicious dog. Have you been hearing that? No. Uh, so the landlord has a dog. He's... Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: The
1: last I heard is UP uh, and his something like that. Yeah, and I got caught. Did I tell you that? No. So the dog is so vicious, and then I just kind of not even thinking clearly anymore over this whole issue. And um, yeah, you know, I like living here, but I don't like. I mean, that's a crime to have a, a vicious dog come. He he has come into my sh- shack and growled and barked at me, like kind of like a caged bear sort of thing. You know what I mean? So it's scary, scary as hell for me. So what I started doing was uh, videotaping it or, you know, copying it on video, because it's because it's, I looked into the, the uh, you know, applicable laws, and, and it's a crime. So a crime is being committed. And then when a crime is being, a violent crime is committed to you and you will feel like you are in imminent danger, there's a statute in the law that's California 633.5 and it says you are allowed to record the crime. uh, Even if you don't have the permission of the people involved. So I started recording that stuff. So now I have uh, lots of evidence essentially of uh, violent crime taking place, which is the threat of violence on me and time and time and time again. And just now when they have the dog out and he's not, he's, you know, on a leash and he, and as soon as he sees me, he just goes after me. So that's why I close the door just so I don't trigger the dog, but I don't want to live in a shack with essentially no light just because there's a dog out and then, and it's also illegal it's against the law so i'm trying to assert my um what is it i mean it's my rights uh, assert my dignity here i'm a human being and that's a dog
0: <laughs>
1: right so anyways that's the situation i'm in i i guess i don't need to bring you up to speed too much but uh, I heard that the dog's out, so I had to get up and close the door. So, uh, okay. Well, I guess uh, I just wanted to check in with you, see how you're doing. Um, are everything's okay? I guess. And so, okay. Uh, what you said was you may actually have to attend from up here. Yeah, it's undetermined
0: yet. But-
1: do they have any idea when they might determine it? Did they tell you guys? The, you know the new students coming no, in?
0: They're doing, they're doing all the lawyers' speak right now. Doing what? All the lawyers' speak. You know, it's like, oh, at this time we're not searching. Like, you know, all the broad statements.
1: Oh, okay. But they they aren't getting together and saying, okay, let's have a, a discussion with all the. The students who have accepted to UCLA and you guys can ask questions and well, you know what I mean? Just at least bring you up to speed on what's going on. Well, they've had webinars, but all they really said was we don't know. <laughs> and they haven't told you the extent of how far they don't know? <laughs> well, you kind of get implied with what they say don't, we don't know to. The idea that I
0: get is is uh, if the law allows them to uh, to basically house students, then they're going to do it. But if not, then they're going to have to stay at home.
1: So it's it's more about housing than the actual setup of classes and everything that they're all talking about, huh? Well, I mean, some classes and stuff it's still going to be a challenge. Cause yeah. But yeah, the main thing is like: is it going to be online? Is it going to be in
0: person? Is it going to be housing? Are they all going to stay at home? Is are really far away? Is it a mix of both? Is just travel not allowed or something like that?
1: So, is it possible for you to maybe take that into consideration as uh, something moving forward on your own education as to what? what you now figure out is important for your education. Because living there isn't important. Actually being in the class isn't even all that important if you got Zoom classes. So what is important? Well, I mean, I'd be basically attending UCLA with the hope that like next quarter I would actually get to be there. Mm-hmm. So at some point in time, there is in your mind there is there's still a um, a value to being there. Yes. So what's the value to being there? I mean, when Grace went to uh, was at Seton Hall, there was a value to going there somehow. Well, UCLA apparently has great food, and the people there seem pretty cool. Hmm. A lot of smarter students that. They are basically now considering just to take like a gap quarter, <laughs> but I don't know if I, I'm smart enough to like take gap quarter and like and have to reapply or whatever. It's, I don't know. I don't know if I could get in again. Yeah, well, nowadays, you know, you can hang anything on that virus. <clears throat> you could say, "Well, I, you know, it was an involuntary gap quarter." <laughs> Or something, yeah. I don't know I don't what
0: the extent of that is.
1: Well, I think it's basically it has disrupted everything. So if you were to take a gap quarter and then you come back and say, "Well, I took a gap quarter because of the coronavirus," they would just wouldn't even question it. They just go, oh, "Okay, fine. You were accepted. You're, you know, you've done all the paperwork. You know, here you go. You might lose a whole year though. You don't just lose a quarter. So they put you on the." So I don't know how, how much they can get away with <laughs> so, yeah. I think they can get away with quite a bit. However, um, they are limited by the laws of physics the way everybody else is. So you can't admit uh, 50,000 students into the dorms when the dorms only can carry, say, uh, 2,000 people, right? Yeah. So they are limited by the number of people that can live in those dorms, but they're probably no longer limited. If they had 50,000 people say they want to be civil engineers in that program, there's nothing to stop them from letting all 50,000 into that program because they could do all zoom classes and everything. And the only thing that limits them, the physics doesn't limit it anymore. So it's all about, uh, I don't even know what it's about at this point now. Uh, The rules have changed, and and coronavirus changed all the rules. So you kind of might want to keep an eye on how the rules changed. I don't know. It's nice
0: talking to you, dude. I'm starting
1: to scratch my face too much, So I want to show more. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you. See you. Alright, so that was a discussion with my son, coronavirus, acceptance to UCLA, he doesn't give much details, he doesn't really, I, I get an impression he doesn't like talking to me and he heard my idea for distance learning that I had that early on and he's like dismissive of it, I guess, well there's a lot of things that you have to keep in mind, you know. (laughs) I'm frustrated with my son right now, but I love him. He's my son, and he's a good kid.
0: And, uh... I
1: don't know what to say. This is is the tail end of uh, me, you know, this Saturday. I'm supposed to have custody of my son and I haven't had custody of my kids when I was supposed to have them. The custody arrangements have been completely thrown out the door, especially with Grace. And um, and in reality, just the whole arrangements with my wife had been thrown out. Just just not even, it, it doesn't make any sense. And this is, we have a de facto divorce. So I'm wondering if maybe I should just go ahead and divorce her. Just was kind of stupid maybe there's something i could actually get out of continuing to stay married to her or get out of something i could get out of divorcing her i don't know maybe there's some benefit i'm thinking at this point maybe i have access to her health care because i am still her husband and so maybe i'm still on her health care so that might be worth it right there to pursue that which I would I anticipate would be I give her a phone call and say I want to be on your health care. She's either declines or agrees or whatever, and then all of a sudden she realizes that uh, there are still things that are going to happen to her because she's still married to me, and um, so she would might maybe put it put it stops on the marriage and and file for divorce. We neither one of us believe in divorce, or at least I know I don't. It's biblical. And, but she sure went out of her biblical way to to create a pile of bullshit on our marriage. And my wife is a Christian asshole that accessed Christian assholes to uh, disrupt our Christian marriage. So much so, I mean, that was like 10 years ago now, it was 11 years ago. We never really got back together, I've never, haven't lived with husband and wife since then uh just a gigantic pile of of christian bullshit and uh, so you heard a conversation between me and my son and that's kind of the tail end of how where things are going he's he's a man now he's going to be a grown person 18 years old soon end of this month or something and i uh, what else is there to talk to him about he's my son i guess he's obligated to talk to me if he feels like it or something but he'd rather go take a shower and scratch his face than talk to his father and grace doesn't want to talk to me at all and i don't want to talk to jenny because i just get so upset at her it's like dude you 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 betrayed me and you're not even living up to that so we're supposed to be married we're supposed to be loving each other and look what you did she won't look at what she did. There's no, there's no um, hint or allegations of violence. Nothing. It's just that she somehow I didn't live up to her expectations. Now that's some really strong fucking expectations to disrupt an entire Christian marriage with kids. And yeah, if those expectations, which are Unsaid, unspoken, and those expectations were un- unmet. So, unsaid, unspoken ex- expectations unmet, and I, I just caught you know, and it blindsided me. Ambush, ambush expectations. Well, that's that's way off. Okay, way off. What should I? to label this I got 45 seconds to come up with a label for this episode ambush expectations A is for ambush Okay, I guess so I got nothing else because I am not thinking very clearly right now with the dog out there me closing the door and me being upset because I can't talk to my son and now suddenly spiraling outward about talking about the um... Custody arrangements. Custody was what drove me into getting a DUI. Hmm. All right, so something I wanted to log and notify, notice, figure out. When I was uh, recording um, and finishing up towards the end of the record on Anchor, there was some notification that said that uh, uh, they were having trouble saving it, and and then I noticed that I was no longer on um, on my mobile hotspot. So T-Mobile or somebody or something had dropped me off the mo- mobile hotspot. So then it, but I went back, re-enabled the mobile hotspot, and then um, found the recording. It was still sort of there. I couldn't tell, and I started playing it. And then eventually, I started seeing that it was twenty eight minutes fifty seven seconds, and uh, uploaded it. So 2057 of it made it. However, the last minute didn't. And the last minute is where I came up with the name of this episode. No, your ABC's A is for ambush, and I was talking about how my wife ambushed me, and uh, uh, these. This is the tail end of of my dis, of my. Um, sort of my relationship with my son I mean he had to live through this ambush situation with my, me and my wife and now he's an adult male he'll be an adult in one month 18 years old he doesn't have to talk to me if he doesn't want to um and the custody arrangements are where the thing c is for custody uh uh is b bullshit and uh just started kind of spiraling outward from all that stuff that drives me crazy because it makes me extremely sad, and um, and I, I I don't know how to process it. Just, uh, it just it it baffles me that people can be that evil. It really does, and that they that they are they are dedicated and believing Christians, and yet they just go out of their way to, uh, they went out of their way to be assholes. So then that to me is the definition of an asshole. It's a person who goes out of their way to be mean. They could have gone out of their way to be nice. They could have gone out of their way to just ignore you, or they could have just not employed the effort to ignore you, but they go out of their way to be mean to you and exert their A authority. So that's the definition of asshole. And so they ambushed me. People have ambushed me in the past because they perceive that I they can't come at me at the front. So they come up alongside and, and sideline. And uh, blindside. Sideline and blindside of me in ambush. And so A is for ambush. <laughs> so I, I just feel like shit. Right now I'm documenting how I feel, which is I feel like shit. Okay. And looking back eleven years at my destroyed marriage. I'm a I'm a believing Christian. My wife is a believing Christian. But my wife's a fucking asshole. Okay. And she and and so that last minute that we lost, I'm trying to recapture. <laughs> okay. She apparently had expectations of me that were unsaid and unmet. So she never said what her expectations were that I didn't meet. And apparently, um, uh, Steve, the Pastor Steve, apparently knows what those expectations are or somehow they're said or hinted at or understood. But the, I don't know what those expectations are. And I actually was in counseling with the same woman, with um, Lynn Fox. We had marital counseling, and that didn't work out. She's a shitty marital counselor. And then part of the marital counseling was to have individual counseling. And and quickly, in the middle, in the individual counseling, she and I, um, I can't say we didn't get along. I mean, she's she's a counselor, and I I try to reach the understanding and, and, and stuff. But she doesn't know what she's doing. And I saw that right away then i admitted in the counseling i said well yeah on what i'm struggling with at that moment what i was struggling with was knowing in my heart which i know now is the amygdala in my limbic system and that i had started to notice other believing christians as part of their limbic system they knew and my wife had it in her limbic system and lynn has it in hers and that's all she has she she doesn't have it in her rational brain she that woman is pure limbic system operating, okay. And Steve was raised in this, and so these are people that are raised where their limbic system accessed and told them and programmed for them as they were being grown up, and said God loves you, and they know God loves them. And I told her at the time, I was like, I can tell that, that you know, I I don't even know that God loves me, and I and I. And so I kind of had detected it. All these years I've been trying to read the Word, try to bring up my limbic system to speed, trying to, try, okay, my limbic system never has accepted that Jesus loves me, okay? And it doesn't mean I'm unsaved, because I know I'm saved, because the Bible says I'm saved. What has happened is people who are raised unchristian Their limbic system is different than people who are raised Christian. And the reality is you're never, unless you're just some weird healing takes place on a person, and there are people that this happens to, but it doesn't happen to everybody. Unless you get that weird healing of your limbic system from Jesus, it's a slow, long grind to replace these tapes that you play and and know, uh, Okay, in your head or whatever, or you don't even know them. You don't even—you're not even consciously aware of them. You're not willingly playing them because I spent thousands of hours trying to unplay them and rewind them and stop them, and it didn't work. Okay, so it's not an aspect of your will. Okay, it was an aspect of your will when you were younger, and uh, you, your limbic system wants to. Uh, auto go into autoplay, it wants to record an autoplay and it wants to just because it's kind of dumb. And then once it goes and record into autoplay and replays and replays, then it becomes kind of stuck in there. I mean, that's permanent. And, anyways, I was telling that to Lynn, and and, uh, that's supposed to be confidential information when you're in a counselor. Lee situation and she told that to Jenny and she said you know part of the problem with Kevin is he doesn't know God loves him or something like that I mean and which is I'm fine with trying to work on it if they have a solution to it if they know how to reprogram your limbic system so that you can tell yourself that and reprogram you so that you will go through life thinking God loves you then i'm all ears they don't have it they sometimes they think they have it they are far from having it and by them thinking that they have it they are even further away from having it okay so that's how far off they are and not one of them has experienced what we precariat class limbic system uh, 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 poor in spirit have experienced. Okay, they they have not experienced that. So there's a whole different set of Christians coming along and or people who can become Christians or people who should be Christians and uh, which is that their limbic system went since the time they were young, has not told them what these asshole Christians have had for themselves. And the asshole Christians know that God loves them. They're raised knowing that God loves them. And they can't understand why people don't see that and don't know it. And part of it is they're stupid. Part of it is they don't like thinking of what that means about God, that God brings people into the fold that they don't even know that God loves them, or they know that God loves them, they can't... It can't undo the damage that's been done. And that tells you something about God, that God isn't undoing this damage. That somehow it's supposed to be your own work that you do for yourself. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And those people did not have fear and trembling involved in their salvation. And so when they see a verse like that, tells them to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, they allegorize it. For them, it becomes a complete abstract. It's like, oh, yes, I had fear and trembling. It's just because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I had wisdom from the time I, you know, three years old, people are accepting Jesus, four, okay, that's great. I think that's fantastic that they can accept Jesus. I think that's great. It's just that there's not fear and, and trembling is associated when you're three or four years old, accepting a God who loves you, <laughs> okay? Fear and trembling is, you know, when you're in, a, in a, uh, a foxhole and people are shooting at you, Viet Cong or somebody shooting at you and trying to kill you and you call out to God and say, God, you know, this is it. Dude, you know, if you don't save me, I'm dead. So I'm yours. And then somehow, and there's some amazing miracle, God shows up for you at that point. And it's like, yeah, talk about fear and trembling. That's not a three-year-old, four-year-old, accepting the God that loves them, because it's a soft and fluffy and furry God. Okay. So they don't understand it. They think they do. They like to think they do. They like to tell you what to do. They like to tell you just do this, just do that, just Go to work. Just read the word. Just take vitamins. Just try Aunt May's special sauce. Okay? But you could try all that shit. And if it works, great. But there are people who have tried almost everything. They've tried everything they could. Like the woman who who had a hemorrhage. She tried everything. And nothing worked. And the only thing that worked for her was Jesus. And she got salvation that day and healing. But Jesus didn't heal everybody at the pool of Siloam. Okay, he healed one person and there was a hundred other guys that didn't get healed. And those people have to work out their healing, their salvation of their soul in fear and trembling because Jesus exhibited authority over that that thing. So he's walking around them right then and there saying, yes, he has the authority and he's not healing them. Okay? So the healing isn't the biggest aspect of it. Salvation is. (sighs) I guess apparently I have a lot to say. In that last minute that I lost, (laughs) it was... Uh, i'm on the 13 minutes now trying to explain the last minute of what it was i was talking about i guess i was continuing to talk about what i was talking about um Okay, well, while I have you guys, whoever is listening to me right now, and I have no idea who that is at this point in time, as far as I could tell, it's nobody, and it's never going to be anybody, okay? So if it is somebody, then I hope it's millions of people. I hope people get saved as a result of this, because I am in a hopeless state. I am. My hope is built on Jesus. I know I'm going to go to heaven, but I have physical ailments associated with my brain chemistry. And I don't think I'm going to get healed from that. I think I'm like Moses that, you know, leading others into the promised land. There's no promise for me. I didn't live my life properly or something or whatever Moses did wrong. Okay. I'd love to be Gideon and lead people with the amazing story that we overcame all these elements because God decided to take advantage of the whole thing and and we could set up this whole precariat class uh uh 12 smart group which is going to be the new form of church and it's going to be a Lionel club based instead of uh worship based okay and you can have worship, but that I don't think that's going. That should be the purpose of church. The purpose of church should be healing, and uh, fellowship, and learning how to deal with the things in life that that uh, make your life help you make your life better by implementing by doing twelve step work by practicing these principles of Christianity in all of your affairs. And, and overcoming anxiety in all of your affairs, all the way down to a barking dog in the middle of your of your house. And if you have a barking dog in the middle of your head, you got that much more to have to deal with. Okay, but it is you can deal with it, and it's it's deal withable. So what was I going to do? I was going to look something up. It was a Bible verse. And it's my hope uh, and The Bible verses, um, uh, Jesus uh, uh, was talking to his disciples, and um, I wish I could pause. I can't pause. So it's, he's talking to his disciples, and they basically said, hey, dude, uh, we gave up our families. We gave up our families. Gave up wives. Okay. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's Genesis Um, 2.24. Okay, Matthew 19.29 is the verse I wanted to bring up. And I couldn't find, and I went through all this rigmarole to try to remember, because I couldn't remember this verse. And Jesus is talking to them in verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Now he's talking to twelve disciples. But one of them betrayed him. So 12 thrones, there's only 11. And then there's one replacement dude who was found by lottery instead of Paul, who was kind of God's chosen replacement. Anyways, so he's telling the rich young man. um, uh, Okay, so the rich, let's go backwards. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 19 and read the whole story. Okay. Okay. Uh, the rich young man. Come on now. There's verse twenty-seven. I want verse twenty-six. I want verse. I went all the way back. Come on. Uh, Why can't I just get Matthew nineteen? All right so it's in matthew verse in matthew chapter 19 starting around vi- verse uh says right after jesus blesses the children so the rich young man which is has parallels in mark 10 17 through 31 and luke 18 18 through 30 so verse 16 just then a man came to jesus and inquired teacher what good thing must i do to obtain eternal life. Now, those of us who are familiar with the Christian message know that you just accept Jesus. That's all you have to do. And Jesus says, well, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the command. So he's basically being religious with this religious dude. He's making some religious point. And so if the religious dude accepts his religious point, then he's going to submit to what Jesus has to say. And if he doesn't accept it, then he's going to sit there and argue religious, religiosity. So what does this guy do? He argues religiosity. Verse 17, why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. Oh, I'm so sincere. Which ones? Jesus answered, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. That means don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20. All these I have kept, said the young man. What do I still lack? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So this guy apparently answered religiously, and answered relatively well. He claims to have followed it. Jesus calling him on his bullshit. You didn't follow it. You don't have nothing in your heart that says you want to really follow the truth and the real life. When the young man heard this, he went away in sorrow because he had great wealth. Gosh, that's starting to sound familiar to me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, <clears throat> Truly, I tell you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, people talk about this eye of the needle thing, and they, they give you this bullshit story about it. camels walking through the eye of the needle, which is a side passage in, in castles at the time, and you had to take all of the baggage off of the camel in order to get the camel through the side passages, and it's bullshit. It doesn't exist. Okay? They're trying to tell you that's an allegory for getting rid of all your baggage if you're a camel going through an eye and a needle. No, that is an invention. It's bullshit. Okay, so it's easier for a camel to go through an eye a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this they were greatly astonished and asked, well then who then can be saved? Because back then they were very Calvinistic. I know Calvin came thousands, hundreds of years later but they, this is their approach. It was If a person's rich, it means God has blessed them. It's a sign that God has found favor with them. It's very prevalent in their community. So when they heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Look, Peter said, we've left everything to follow you. Okay, they gave up what little they had, which was their wives. Sound familiar? This is what I did. Okay. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit also on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. They get to be in a position of judgment. That sounds nice to me. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for the sake of my name will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now, always, I have always, not always, I, in the past I have interpreted this verse that when you We'll receive a hundredfold. You're receiving a hundredfold in this life. Inheriting an eternal life is already a done deal. We have accepted Jesus and we've followed him. Now, we've paid a price for following Jesus. So God is going to repay us for that price. Thank you, God. I, I, I really want all that stuff in heaven. And I accept that you're going to pay me. Okay, my problem is, I think that this promise is supposed to come true in this life. So I've clicked through to Mark chapter 10, and he, and he's saying the same thing. Jesus started on his way, a man ran up and knelt before him. Ooh, a man ran up and knelt before him. Now, this guy is humbling himself before Jesus. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to eternal inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus said. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't do these things, etc. Teacher, I have done all these things kept from my youth. There is a key indicator. From the time of his youth, he's got, he's got his... Uh, his limbic system working for him rather than against him. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him. Now, that's an important addition. Jesus loved him. Jesus had compassion on this person. Now, there's not a lot of people that says Jesus says that about. OK, he loves everybody, but this guy's kind of special. And Jesus said to him, There's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you own and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and then come and follow me. So he had a kind of an additional requirement for this one person because he kind of represented that uh, I'm the one who knows. He represents the guys who have their shit together. Okay. And they act like they have their shit together, they act like their shit don't stink. And Jesus says, okay, well, if you think your shit don't stink, then get rid of everything and come follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Which is true. They will have treasure in heaven, but they're attached to their treasure. The man was saddened by these words and went away in sorrow because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said, how hard it is for rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples amazed at its words, children. And Jesus said, to them again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to each other, then who can be saved? Well, with man, this is impossible, not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. It sounded like they were saying "He don't, they don't get nothing for this. And Jesus said... Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for the sake of my name, my sake, or for the gospel will fail to receive a hundredfold in the present age. Okay, BibleHub.com, BSB, I don't know what BSB stands for, some Baryon Bible. It says, in the present age. That's why I have this as my idea that this applies to me in the present age, in my life now, that I should be getting a hundredfold. I'm not seeing it. So I'm frustrated with Christ and God that I am not seeing it. And I gave up, Tammy, for God. Okay? And I ain't seeing it. <laughs> <sighs> this stuff really bothers me. It scares me and, and makes me so sad. And I'm talking to my own son, whom I love, and I, it. Just, I'm just sad. I'm sad about what has happened to me. What I, and it's weird. People say you allowed it. A is for allow. You allowed this to happen.
0: Fuck
1: that. Okay. If the Christian church sets itself up to be honest and admirable and open, and somebody who takes you on your word that you're gonna be honest and admirable and open and you betray them, B is for betray, A is for admirable, then what is Christianity about? The reality is your, your, your Christianity is like that rich young ruler. You think you, your shit don't stink. You think your, your limbic system has been working for you, your life. You think other people's limbic system has been working for them, but it doesn't. It hasn't. It has actually been hurting them. Okay? And you can't even identify that that would happen to them. Something's wrong with them that their limbic system's hurting them or that they don't have the same shit that you do. Because you can't even figure out, you can't even, not even for a second put yourself into their shoes that 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 their own parents would dislike them or their own parents would hate them or beat them or show mean-spiritedness to them or anything because your parents were so good to you and were so nice to you. Now, nobody's parents are perfect. Every, everybody who even had good parents understands that, okay? But people even with good parents have limbic systems that went awry
0: okay allow fuck that
1: okay it didn't allow it to happen i i tried i tried to generate this uh this kind of a solution for me a group a support group for me for people like me Even when I was a teenager, when I was still 19, 20 years old, okay? And I couldn't do it. And I didn't have the support of people like you, like that. People who are ambushers. People who are assholes. Christian assholes. Filled with Bullshit. It's ten forty-eight a.m. I just heard the dog yelp a little bit. Um, I am inside of my of the shed, darkened because the door is closed. Because I'm afraid of that fucking dog, and I just had a conversation with my son, and during the conversation I heard evidence that the dog was out, so I closed the door, and that was. Uh, it was maybe almost an hour ago. So I'm, I'm here having to react to a vicious dog that could threaten me with violence at any moment by closing the doors. And then I, and then I get ready to go back out and there's another evidence that the dog is out ready to pounce at me, to ambush me, and I would just recorded a podcast that A is for ambush, and that dog has ambushed me in the past, now I have just opened the door, the left door, the side door, and I am looking at dozens of flies, and I just heard the dog yelp. So I'm walking out into the dozens of flies who are attracted to the the chicken shed. I'm standing in the alleyway. I heard Thomas call out to the dog. There's an airplane flying overhead. And I know Thomas is out with the dog. But at least I'm gathering some sunlight right now. I've got bandages on because of my I can hear a couple of birds. But I'm depressed. This is getting to me. This is bothering me. I am bothered by this situation with the vicious dog. And now I heard Thomas call out to the dog again. And that dog come down. At any point in time, that dog is only maybe Four seconds away from me. And I can look right through the uh, hole in the hedge. Occasionally you can catch a glimpse of a person walking by. Or maybe see the dog. If the dog sees me. Three seconds later he's on me. So while I'm talking. I never more than say. I'm, "Well, I'm, Sometimes I am within. Three seconds. Of that dog ambushing threatening me with violence, and the fact that the dog is out, and I can hear evidence that the dog is out because the owner is calling him out, is just evidence that I have to kind of sequester myself into the shack, just because there's a vicious fucking dog, so the solution is, give me this brzepper, I'll train that fucking dog, okay, that ain't right It ain't right that they allowed this situation to go on the way that it Alright, well, I'm gonna... I, I hesitate to open the, the door because... the dog's out. I want the sunshine. The, but there's also... Not only dog out, but now there's flies that come in because they're attracted to the chicken shit that's all over the place. And now inside of the shed there's a bunch of flies. So I'm gradually being pushed out by unpleasantness. And my plan is to put up some kind of screening material. I know that the dog is still out and that Thomas is still interacting with the dog. My intention is to close this door then. Cut off the sunshine for me for now. In my soul right now, because I'm talking to my son, dealing with the details of this bullshit, uh, flies everywhere. Walking through a whole fucking swarm of them to get through the side door, and there's a whole bunch of flies inside of the shed. And this could be a beautiful fucking property. This is a this is a beautiful property, but. My limbic system is triggered, and I have been ambushed, my limbic system has been ambushed. I'm in the middle of, or I, I, I thought I had just finished my episode on uh, Anchor called Know Your ABCs, A is for Ambush. And right now I can hear Thomas talking to his dog, and the door is closed. It's ten fifty six, so it's eleven AM. He usually doesn't come down and open up the chicken shed until noon. So I gotta put up with an hour's worth of this bullshit from Thomas. B is for bullshit. A is for ambush. C is for Christianity. And this is this is bothering the fuck out of me. I'm already bothered. Okay, I was bothered. Um, particular about nineteen Matthew nineteen, <clears throat> and uh, Matt, uh, and Mark chapter ten, and that has bothered me in the past, and I've mentioned it, and so I'm already bothered, and then now all of a sudden I hear Thomas talking to his dog, so I'm. I'm doubly bothered. My my limbic system is, is ambushed, and triggered, and I gotta figure out ways to untrigger it and unambush it. And there's there are techniques. There, you know that it it's still subject to me, who I am, and I have the will to exert over my own limbic system. But it has the ability to tell me how I feel. It has the ability to tell me what things mean. And it will grasp at meaning even under the most tenuous of circumstances. So right now, my limbic system is telling me that uh, this means Thomas is going to go out of his way to threaten me with the violence of his dog. And this means that God doesn't love me somehow. My limbic system will tell me that. It's really fucking sad. And I, I remember, uh, uh, I just got a memory that came up. And it happened before, right before, um, <laughs> right before my marriage blew up. And I was busy trying to process some piece of information that I knew that I had, which is that I, I didn't know that Jesus loved me, and I, and there was some thing going on at a Bible Church. This is maybe twelve years ago, and there was some event coming on up, and uh, it was you know, bring your own. It was a potluck or some you know some typical Baptist social type of thing. <clears throat> I've heard the expression: "You've been to one Baptist social, you've been to them all." <laughs> And I had developed this technique, which is you bring a cutting board and a knife and a watermelon, which can be cheap or something like that. And you could just sit there and cut into pieces and put it into a bowl, and, and people will chew it. They'll go through fruit, especially in the summer that you cut up. It's gone in seconds. Okay, So I brought a watermelon and a knife, a big knife, and a a cutting board. I I was just sitting down, cutting that watermelon, and talking. Uh, And I was talking to Woody, who was the person there at the church. Nice lady. And I was talking to some 13-year-old girl. I can't remember her name, but my, my daughter knew her. She's older than my daughter at the time. She was an attractive girl. Can't remember her name. Anyways, um... So it was me and Woody and this girl and I I was just saying, yeah, I'm looking forward I'm in the middle of this path this spiritual path I'm on and I am looking forward to learning deeply inside me and deeply knowing inside me that God loves me. And she looked at me in the funniest way, just like She'd never heard adults talk like this before, being real about what's going on with them, and that this was the actual thing going on with me. And she just looked at me really funny, her eyes were kind of lit, like went up, and then she was just really paying attention, and, and but that's kind of all I had to say was, you know, I could tell God I like, wasn't saying God doesn't love me, I was saying that I can't I don't know. That God loves me. I'm looking forward to me learning and processing this and becoming a person who knows deep inside that God loves me. So I just had that as a memory, just now, and I was kind of sad. Yes, I was sad. I was going through sadness times at the at the time. I was unemployed and yet working as a janitor at the church and that kind of thing. You know, it's like I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm not a fucking janitor. Okay. I was stepping down in humility because I thought God was calling me to be humble. But it wasn't God calling me to be humble. It was my church, not knowing how to deal with certain situations. And that's all that they have to offer is this very, very humble position of a janitor when they know that a, a family is, is hurting, and unemployed, that kind of thing. Turns out I was more qualified than the guy that was in charge of the entire ministry. Okay. And I tried not to let that become, you know, a piece of arrogance, but he he ended up firing me or getting rid of me or whatever, anyways. And I think it was because he was, he was, uh, he perceived me as a competition. And also, my attitude is very strong. I'm not a cheerleader, okay? I've never been a cheerleader. I don't pretend to be a cheerleader. And he basically, when he and the fat lady, Tom's wife, sat down with me, and I had Daniel with me that day at work. Bring your son to work day sort of thing. And I just was hanging around with Daniel, getting janitorial shit done. And they, they basically told me that they want me to quit because I don't love my job. And I went back to the, all the other guys that are in the same ministry, and I asked them, each one of them, do you love your job? Not one of them said yes. So something's up. There was an ambush. Talk about a fucking ambush. And they did it right in front of me. When my son was with me, they, they told me that uh, that's it, uh, the end of our employment relationship right there. Two weeks' notice or some bullshit like that, and then a week later, was uh uh Pastor Steve telling me as of now you're you're uh, you're separated from your wife, and I handed my keys because I was technically still an employee of the of the church at that point in time, and I handed the keys to Steve. And Steve didn't say nothing, didn't tell me nothing, but I also got essentially fired from the, um, the children's ministry also. And I called up the children's minister and said, uh, I don't know anything. I mean, you, uh, you might have heard, but uh, there's this stuff going on with Steve, whatever, but I'm wondering if I should show up for the children's ministry. And she said, well, you need to talk to Steve. So, again, Steve, acting as a representative of the, the church, essentially fired me without telling me that I was fired from the children's ministry, and not because of anything I did or said. It's because he's an asshole, and he knows he's an asshole, and I accused him of being evil that day. So how does that church do their step eight against <laughs> what, what, what uh, their representative did to my family and in particular to me my family and me they split up my fucking family so you look at that verse in Matthew 19 I should be getting a hundredfold in this life how much you guys paid me 18 dollars an hour how many hours did you take away from me how much did you take from me? As a result of that happening. All right. That is a lot of fucking pain. I ask anyone, you get a hundred people, you give you just pull them off of the street and you say, Okay, this is what happened. This person was working and they did this to him. How much do you think that church should pay? Okay. And if they say $1,000, they say $2,000, right? You just take an average. You take 20 people, take them straight off the street at random, tell them the story, pay them $10 for listening to the story, and we just need a dollar figure from you. What do you mean a dollar? You got to say, how much would you pay? How How much is your church, well, how much does your church worth, right? That's a $20 million building or $20 million property or something like that. Okay, so let's assume it's twenty million dollars. How much should that church pay that person? And a lot of people end up with a ten percent type of figure or a five percent. So ten percent would be two million dollars, and you know, some people know that that's too much. But let's say they, you know, the average comes out to say five percent of the twenty million dollars that the church is worth. So that's that would be one million dollars. The church can't afford that. They don't have a hundred million dollars sitting in the bank for all the shit they did wrong. They cannot afford it. And yet, the reality is, they should be paying me one hundredfold of what that other person, what the average just came up with because of Matthew 19. Okay? So they should be paying a hundred million, not just one million. Now, all of a sudden, they have to pay five times more than what the church is worth just to make back, make it up for what they did. So I would be generous to the church by suggesting something along the lines of, okay, back to that 10% or 20% of what the church is worth. And I'll tell you, in this particular church, there are natural delineations of value. They have a certain building. It's kind of U-shaped with the, the sanctuary, and then they have all these classrooms and offices and stuff. And then there's a whole there's a new section of the building where the, uh, two stories. It's got an elevator in it. It's new. So you divide that church. You just, poof! This is the new building. That's Kevin's. Okay according to square footage, according to whatever. But you said, this is the new building. This belongs to Kevin. And Kevin's going to live here. Okay. And all I need is one story of that. Two story. I'll take the bottom story. Thank you very much. I don't want to have to go climb up an elevator and w- hope that it still works. Climb up the stairs and that kind of shit. That's for you guys. I'll take the bottom floor. <coughs> and I'll rent out the top floor to you. You previously owned it, and and people will end up saying, "We can't do that. You can't do that. You can't subdivide. It's against the law. Subdivision is. It takes forever. It takes more than money." No, 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 no. Because you can. What you can do is, uh, tenancy in common. You can split up anything into tenancy in common. And I'm I'm talking about the air that you breathe. You can split it up in tenancy in common. People have quarter interest in airplanes. They have one one hundredth interest in, in clubs, swimming pool clubs. So, we've tenancy in common. I own that building and that real estate around it for, you know, what, a hundred feet around or you know, it's a place to park, and have a little backyard. It's mine. That's where I live now. I have an easement to get to and from. I don't think I'm going to be going to your church anytime soon. But if I decide to, then I am going to be welcome at that church. Okay, that time you guys can pay me back, and that's not even that. Might be ten percent of the church, might be twenty. I don't know. But you can pay the. You can pay. We can have a generous arrangement of the rent for that top floor. That you guys can have R and R, whatever Sunday mornings. You can use it. It's good. Generous rent arrangement, right? And you pay me to use parts of the building that you once owned. And I get to live in the bottom floor, and we're going to pay for a renovation. There's already running water and uh, bathrooms and stuff like that. So we're going to put in a second bathroom. We're going to put in a shower. We're going to put in a kitchen. There's already sort of a kitchen there. And then the rest is kind of studio living for Kevin and get divided into rooms or whatnot. You know, tenancy improvement. But it's mine. I live there. I live it. I, I get to put up whatever I want. And you guys are signing over ownership to me. Because you guys were assholes spreading bullshit in the name of Christianity. And then from then on, it's like, everybody has to be upfront about what happened. Why, why is there a guy living there? Who is that? Well, that's Kevin. Here's the story of Kevin and how we fucked Kevin over and and broke up his marriage. So this is how we are doing our step eight in the R&R ministry to make up for having broken up and ambushing, A is for ambushing, Kevin in his marriage. And now things are a little bit better. And we have more of a restored relationship. I would sure hope that that would restore a relationship. and our could meet upstairs and everybody has fun and, and it gets to enjoy life. But it does cost the church that building. Something like that. Not something like that. I'm talking exactly that. That's what it would take. And I think it's eminently doable. But Chances are very strong that I'll be dead long before any of this ever gets considered. So we're just, this, this thing ends up in heaven. And so we're going to be dividing up heaven according to tendency in common. And I'm going to sit down for thousands of years with every single fucking member of the Peninsula Bible Church and then we're going to talk about how you fuckers were represented by... by Steve Neisler, and you fucked up my marriage. Oh, I fucked it up too, yes. But you're going to pay. A portion of your heaven goes to me. And I get a hundredfold. At the end of the whole day, Christ comes in, he gives me a hundredfold, whatever it is we decide. Okay? Okay? Because you fuckers ambushed me. Alright, well, this is going up, it's going to be in public, maybe someone will discover it, who knows, there's no knowing this stuff. There's no knowing. Boy, am I sad right now. <sighs>